0: process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at hightrustalliance.net. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at ArcherIRM.com
1: We are off and running here for a new redefining security episode on ITSB Magazine. And today, it's an interesting day. I think we, we thought we were going to go live. I mistyped something uh, on uh, Twitter. We are recorded here, as you probably can tell. Uh, that doesn't take away from the importance of the conversation and hopefully the the uh, resulting engagement that ensues on the, the inspiring thread. <laughs> That led me to uh, to this conversation, which was posted originally by our good friend and and one of our podcast hosts, Alyssa Miller, who's on. Good to have you on, Alyssa.
2: Thanks, Sean. It's good to be here, and I appreciate the invite as always.
1: <laughs> this is a topic on standards, and uh, I'm going to get into that in a minute because I think we're going to have to. Shave some thoughts or shave some things off of what you're talking about in terms of standards uh, related to the tweet, because it could be so broad and yet so specific. Um, Before we do that, though, I want to note that we have another guest on, uh, the accidental CISO, which I'm thrilled
3: Hey there. (laughs) It's it's true. I did accidentally become the CISO.
1: You did accidentally, Um, and then hopefully not accidentally arrived here. Uh, You you want to be part of this conversation, I I presume.
3: I I do. This was totally (laughs) on purpose here. Love
1: it. I love it. So uh, before we get into it, a quick word from you, Alyssa, and then uh, over to AC uh, for the same. Uh, What are you up to? What are you working on? Maybe, maybe maybe a teaser for why this tweet
2: sure. uh, was posted yeah. in the first place. <laughs> yeah, the, the infamous tweet that, uh, you know, hopefully people are seeing a link for down below or something. But, um, you know, yeah. So uh, for those that don't know me, I'm the Business Information Security Officer for S&P Global Ratings. Basically what that means is I run the cybersecurity strategy for the ratings division within S&P Global. So we've got a, a global, you know, holding company that has our CISO organization in it within that specific division, one of four in the company, I'm the head of cybersecurity for that division. So I work, I report into the division, I report to a divisional CTO. And my focus is bridging kind of that gap between the business and the security team. And So that not only involves bringing what the CISO organization is doing into the business and trying to advocate for security practices and so forth within the business. A lot of times what I do is actually pushing the other direction and it's saying, hey, now, wait, you know, you you need to understand the business context better. Um, You know, how can we align these initiatives that you want to do that make a lot of sense, but get them so that, you know, they're aligned with the business. So the business will give you solid adoption and we can really achieve the goals that you're looking for from it. So, you know, obviously a lot of different things come up as a part of that, and you know, I mean, just it, it gets me thinking about a lot of different things and seeing, you know, where as security people we can do better. And that kind of led to, you know, one of the, t- the to the tweet that the infamous now tweet that that spurred this conversation.
1: Love it. My my mind's already spinning with uh, with ideas and questions, uh, but AC. Why, why yeah, are you on so, here?
3: I, uh, <laughs> uh, so Alyssa reached out and said, hey, you know, I want to bring you on this podcast to, to talk about this. Uh, uh, most recently, I've, I've actually been doing uh, consulting work. Uh, I've been in the industry for 20-plus years now, and uh, a lot of IT infrastructure work, IT operations, security-related, and uh, all the way up through uh, running IT departments and running security for organizations, building security programs, and I've uh, started con- consulting about a year ago. I helped a friend get his consulting company off the ground. And now I'm actually working in the early stages of getting my own consulting company off the ground. So my focus is going to be helping other accidental CISOs, uh, folks that find themselves trying to build an information security program, maybe not in the best place in an organization org structure-wise as well, uh, to navigate what they're dealing with and, and to be successful to build security programs in their orgs.
1: Nice. And I, I would venture a guess, and I haven't, haven't been a CISO don't know that I'd ever want to be sorry, <laughs> but I'd venture a guess that a lot would re, a lot of CISOs would rely on at least industry standards, if not, uh, yep. some government, uh, wide standards to help them, at least frame mm-hmm. something and start the conversation. So that's why this intrigued me. Is like when you when you say standards are not always good, and I think some of the tweets responses uh, kind of question that as well. Um, that got my attention. But I think Alyssa, you're specifically talking about something more specific within your organization. Was it more of an operational standard you're trying to apply across the org, or was it was it based on something like a NIST or
2: well, yes. Uh, tell, I mean, tell me
1: about what you're what you're talking about specifically.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we leverage uh, you know different frameworks like NIST and so forth, and you know, I mean that that's a function of two things really. One, just um, you know, giving you a starting point, right? Any organization that's looking to start developing their security standards, what easier place in, to, to start than something like NIST CSF? Or you can even get more granular if you want to use like IST, uh, NIST 800.53. Like, right. I mean, those are a couple of standards that really give you a strong starting point. In fact, you know, 800 53 gets really, really granular. But, you know, for us, we're also heavily regulated. So having a set of standards that we can draw from, you know, best practices in the industry and so forth really helps us when we're answering questions to our regulators to say, you know, why, why is this your standard? Why? why did you implement this where did this come from you know a lot of them have the expectation that you're leveraging some form of industry best practices and and frameworks and so forth so you know for us it that's that's as much part of it as anything and i think for a lot of different it groups if if you get audited if you have regulatory concerns if you have you know i mean all of those things kind of play into it. You look even at like a sock too. It's like, all right, you know, you you have. They ask you to point to what. What do you use as your framework? So rather than build one, hey, turn to the industry and grab what they've got.
3: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Love frameworks, like you said, Alyssa. There's there's no reason to reinvent the wheel on these things, and it can be difficult for some. Organization. A lot of the smaller organizations uh, that I've seen, they don't—they're not heavily reg- regulated. And one of the things they have to decide is which framework are we going to go through. And so that's one of the things that uh, is is worth thinking about as well. As you get into these standards, is which one of these frameworks is going to be the appropriate starting place, uh, so that you don't have to go and think about each individual risk that you may face. When a lot of companies are going to face kind of a generic set of risks that just exist in the market. By nature of being in business, and so if you can start there and, and work on mastering those, um you can make an awful lot of headway uh before you have to get to you know bespoke security controls and and things that are are just for your org
1: yeah and Alyssa, I think you you kind of pointed to something where as you as you get deeper into some of the the frameworks and standards, it kind of pushes down further, right this is more about the control and analyzing the control and proving out the control and less gets further and further away from, from the business. And I'm wondering when we're looking at standards rooted in frameworks, let's say do security leaders tend to use that as a means to protect themselves? So if they get questioned, like I think you kind of alluded to a little bit, uh, this is why we're doing this because somebody else said, this is why we should be doing it. Or is there some grander vision for leveraging standards where you can actually, I think as part of your tweet responses, we're saying this is, should be about the business. So
2: No. And, and, and you bring up a really good point. There are a lot of security leaders who will, you know, use that as kind of the, the why, which you know, to, to AC's point, you know, with a young organization or an organization that doesn't have like a really strong, you know, large security uh, team or organization within it, you know, that can be enough. And sometimes that's okay. You know, even if just your maturity is is low and you're just getting started, sure, that's a good place to start. And just saying, hey, we're, we're adopting this because it's best practice and we're going to adopt this framework and we're going to do these things. But as you grow in maturity, the questions start coming up. Why are we really doing this? You know, as I said before, 800.53 has like really, really, really prescriptive controls. And some of those just simply may not be appropriate to your business. And so I think as you become more mature in cybersecurity, the the CISO, the other security leaders, you got to have a better answer than, well, because NIST says so, Right. It's got to be a matter of we looked at our business threat model. We looked at our business risks and we understood them and determined that these controls apply Um, or we're going to implement these controls or a, a different control that meets the same objective. And this is actually one of the things that disappointed me about NIST CSF was originally I loved it. Like I thought it was a, I was, thought it was great because it wasn't prescriptive. You know, you had 800.53, I like, I forget 200 and some odd controls in it. Um, but NIST CSF came out and it was just more of a framework. It was, "Hey, we're not going to tell you specifically how to do this, but we're going to tell you these are the things you need to be thinking about in terms of, you know, large categories of cybersecurity program and then maybe break that down into, you know, some practices but they didn't get deep into controls at first. And then people asked like, you know, people who weren't able to take the time or didn't want to take the time and design their own controls to match that started, you know, pushing for, you know, well, tell us more, give us, give us more prescription on this. And now you've got CSF is cluttered with all of these very prescriptive controls. And I think that's, that's, you know, I I wish it had been released more as like an additional guidance to the CSF to say like, all right, so you want to adopt CSF. Here's some ways to go about it. Here's some optional controls. But the way, and and they still say that, right? Like they still talk about it that way, but it's just, it it made it too easy for people to use it the same way we use 800.53 and just say, well, we're going to adopt all these controls and plug them into our environment. Instead of staying true to what the original intent of the CSF was, which was that organizations figure out how it fits best with their business model.
3: That is, it's so important uh, to make sure that the the program is built to enable the business, uh, and that's where a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of security folks will uh, struggle a little bit because there's there's sort of a, you know, in the in the technical world in IT and in security, uh, you know, a lot of us think very you know binary, you know, it's it's this or it's that, and to 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 understand the business. To the point where you can help them make good decisions on how to implement something, and so in in this CSF, you know, as Alyssa was mentioning, it's it's not prescriptive; it's sort of a, a principle. And but then you've got to figure out how are you going to implement that principle. What's the tactic that we're going to use to implement that? And then as you get your standards in place, you know, you you know, and and I think also something that happens in a lot of orgs is they 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 get these things in place. But in especially young orgs or that are that have mature, immature security programs, in a, in a lot of other fields, like you have to learn the rules before you start breaking them. And I think security is also one of those things. As you start implementing these things and you get your controls and your standards defined within your org, you know, you can't make them so rigid that the business can't still do what they need to do. And, you know, let's say you mentioned prior to, to flipping on the, the record which talk about your, your security exception uh, program that you have within your your security program. and that's one of the ways that you can do that to grant exceptions for for certain things. Uh, you know, certain certain control standards might be very rigid. you know the, the exact configuration of how your VPN appliances are going to be configured the, you know, that might be something that's not really appropriate to, to change without really, really good justification. But then maybe the screensaver timeout on different classes of machine and the organization based on where they are and what their purpose is, maybe that's a more flexible standard that you might have. And and having the security folks that get too rigid on, well, the standard says this and we have to do this. I think that's where, where you know, it's, you can walk that fine line. You've got to be able to think about why are we doing this, as we were saying before, within the context of the business to enable the business, why are we doing these things?
1: Yeah, and and stick with that, Alyssa, because I think one of the things you you noted in the thread was that sometimes the security org will use this as a means to impose their will, right, Um, to get the organization to do something. One, why is that? Is it because they don't have a, a strong enough voice, and and is there a disconnect between what what the org security org is trying to do with what the business is trying to do, or wh- what's the reason behind that that will imposition that uh, comes?
2: Yeah, I mean it's a very authoritarian approach, right? Like we're going to we're going to impose upon you that you need to do these security practices by making them standards. So now you have no choice. That's not really what standards are about. <clears throat> And quite honestly, it just points to a dysfunctional organization. If your information security team feels that they have to launch standards in order to get the org to do what they feel is necessary from a security posture perspective, you're already losing the game, right? I mean, that's because that's not how you're going to get buy-in. And in fact, one of the worst things a security organization can do is to write policies and standards that call for a capability that doesn't exist yet. So, you know, a common example I use is if you're going to write a policy, a software security policy, let's say, and you're in a development organization and you say, well, thou must run SAS, you know, uh, static code analyzers against every release, but you haven't provided a SAS tool that plugs into their pipelines. You're obviously not going to get adoption. You're going to force a bunch of exceptions, which is not the road you want to go down anyway. You don't want people risk accepting things. You want to, you know, you want them to have the empowerment and the enablement to do the things, and you want to have that infrastructure in place first before you define a standard around it. Because the thing with standards is a standard it's implied in the name is this is our standard way of doing things. So if it doesn't exist and you write a standard for it, that doesn't suddenly, it, it, you know, you've not used a standard in the way that it's meant. And so where you get into trouble with that is now if you've got auditors or you've got regulators who come in and they're going to audit you based on your compliance to your standards, you've just set your business up for failure because you've created a standard that they're not able to achieve. And so now when the regulators come to them and they say, hey, why aren't you doing this? And they throw up their hands and they say, well, because the standard happened without you know our knowledge and without any capability, they're the ones that get written up, they get fined or everything else. It doesn't impact security. So security can just kind of go on their happy way, but th- that's the reality of it. And so this is why when we're writing standards When we're writing policies, when we're writing, you know, standard operating procedures, you need that business voice at the table, right? I mean, in my personal opinion, there shouldn't be a standard implemented in any organization that isn't approved by the businesses. They should be a part of those conversations.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, so much of my time as a CISO was spent learning the business, the business processes, the, the workflows, and then focusing on what are the right tools to enable. How can we integrate things? How can we automate things? And tying that back through to the to the technology to make folks' jobs easier on that. And that was the real value that I felt that I added in that, you know, managing risk and that sort of thing. I mean, that was obviously part of us to understand that, but to be able to bridge between the business and the technical side, how do we get the right tools in place? How do we improve processes to remove friction so that people will use the tools? Uh, you know, that's a huge way to reduce risk. If the right process is the sec- secure process and folks don't have a reason to work around it.
1: Now, often, I, I, I think of this as you were describing the scenario there, Alyssa, I was thinking that we've we've put the the cart before the chicken. Or no, wait, is it the, the which came first, the horse or the egg? No, I'm, I'm messing with you. Now, I think what I want to get into maybe in AC, if you can maybe share some insights here is I often have this, maybe it's a utopian vision for what security looks like within an organization where, as you started to describe AC, you're looking at business workflows. And perhaps not just from where are the weaknesses, but what are we trying to accomplish? And how can we make that better? And are we doing things in that workflow that we don't need to yet is exposing us. And therefore, if we change the business process, we reduce the exposure in the first place and then only have to control the gaps uh, yeah. in other ways. So in the context of frameworks and standards and, and policies, your thoughts on that, have you had any ex- success in in that type of scenario?
3: Typically the success that I have is, is to partner with, each of the, the business stakeholders and come to help them solve their problems. Not lead with I'm solving a security problem. Lead with I'm solving an efficiency problem. I'm solving, you know, your team's pain points and how can we how can we help fix that? And you know, I had the luxury of in orgs that I've worked in, I've had a lot of influence on the IT and IT infrastructure side as well. So I didn't have to do a ton of work on both sides. Of that kind of triangle of turning, you know, talking to the business stakeholder first, and then turning around and talking to the, the CIO or or IT director to convince them also to do it, um, you know. So that that part, you know, was a bit of a luxury to me. That I admit some p- folks don't necessarily always have that that luxury there. But that was a a big a big uh, you know plus for me, and and the the real way that I had success, and and something with the the standards that as you get these things in place. One of the goals of leadership, at least in, in my mind, is to allow folks at lower levels in the org to make decisions so that every decision does not have to come up the chain. Every every project or every instance, every IT ticket, every what request doesn't have to become an exercise in judgment for the team that's doing it of how are we going to do it, what are we going to do? So getting these things documented and the appropriate standards in place actually helps the, the, the organization move faster. And I've had conversations with executives, especially in small companies and startups where they're like, oh, we just have to move fast. Documenting things and stuff for the sake of documentation, like that's just going to slow us down. We can't be slowed down because of, you know, having these rigid requirements. Uh, and I have to, to help them understand that those rigid requirements don't have to be rigid if we have an exception process or something. But at the end of the day, if you're, engineering team is getting ready to develop some new pillar of your product and they have to make a bunch of decisions. Having these things already documented for them allows them at a much lower level in the organization and gives them a lot more clarity on what they need to do to be able to make the decisions and get things done. Instead of having to have it all come up the chain, you don't make mistakes, you're not going through rework because it's all clearly defined as to what they need to do. So, you know, there is a huge amount of efficiency that comes from security, you know, it's almost a form of operational excellence. You know, security, if you look at a process quality, a breakdown in a process is, you know, it's a quality issue at that point. But that breakdown, that process becomes a hole now because you didn't follow your standards where you've added risk from a security standpoint. So
1: one of the... Comments made on the thread was that the best thing about standards is that there's so many to choose from. <laughs> and and that the first thing that came to mind is there are 15, 20, 30 cybersecurity standards. And what I and I'm just gonna set that there for a second, which we can talk about if we want, but then there's this, I presume, whole other world of other standards that we're completely ignoring, right? Mm-hmm. There's legal standards, uh, yeah, business standards that that just doing things in retail or banking that aren't risk-related, right? Oh, so the funny. CISO is going to be looking around risk, but there's so many other, like you, you talk about, AC, you talk about rigid standards or that we're, what we're putting in place. Well, there are rigid standards from other parts of the, <laughs> the operations of the company that we're ignoring here.
2: Yeah, I mean, so first of all, they're not even all IT standards, right? You alluded to that. So you've got, and that's something we kind of forget about in security. Like we're this small, small little piece. In fact, this is where I see a lot of CISOs fail. Like they become so hyper-focused on security as the thing. Like they just assume everybody sees security as this, you know, the the same level of like it's their everyday life as we do. And that's not the reality. You've got security, which is just a part of, in most cases, part of IT, Okay, so then you've got IT, which is a bigger set of standards. And I know sometimes, a lot of times, security is related to risk instead. But, okay, so even then, IT, you've got then, like you said, business. And not even all those business standards are risk-related, right? I mean, they can be business standards for any number of reasons. And so I think we, we do have that tendency to get very myopic in our view and only see the security side of the argument and forget that when you're talking to a CTO or to a CFO or to the CEO or to a, heck, a board member, they've got a lot more on their mind than cybersecurity. Now, granted, right now, for a lot of them, cybersecurity is a big topic. You know, the, the boards that I'm presenting to, I mean, one stopped me and said, you know, this is this is the one thing that keeps me up at night is cybersecurity. Yeah, because it's there is so much in the mainstream, but we, we can't be relying on that. And the reality is our goal as security leaders is to get adoption for security practices. And this goes back to what AC was saying, which is part of why I'm so glad he's here with us today, because I can't agree with this enough. It's that leading with an enablement story, not you know, uh, risk reduction or something like that. And this is, I've, I've had so many conversations with high level security leaders who, who say the right thing, right, they'll say, well, you know, my job is to enable the business. Yes, I agree with you. How do you do that? And unfortunately, more often than not, the answer I get to that is, oh, I reduce risk for the business. No one sees that as enablement. That's not enablement. I mean, it is to a degree, but that's not the thing that's going to get the attention, because you're talking about these nebulous ideas that, unless those threats come through and actually that risk is realized and you get breached, there, there's no tangible thing for them to to touch. There, you're, I mean, how do you you're in a negative space of we're going to prevent these risks, and so you know instead when you do like. Uh, as AC was talking, and this is like that that DevSecOps message, right? How is, you know, implementing SCA, so software composition analysis, in my pipeline going to help make us more efficient? Well, you know, I mean, it does a lot for discovering your dependencies and that can be valuable. And in no place was it more valuable, you know, take the recent Log4J, we, we did a, a series on it. I talked about it then when we did that episode that, you know, day one of the response to log4j, I had a laundry list of every place that we had dependencies on log4j in our Java ecosystem because we run SCA. And it told me, here's where you have this dependency. So imagine just how impactful that is to be able to go back to the business now and say, hey, look, remember that thing we had you install into your pipeline a year ago? Well, here it is. Here's how it paid off we didn't have to go and send your your engineers on a wild goose chase trying to find it in all the different java libraries we knew day one where this thing existed and so that's what i think you know we need to look for those opportunities as security leaders to reinforce that like hey okay we had you install a waf and then you know some vulnerability came up and we were able to quickly implement mitigating controls or you know you know we put this software uh, you know we put a static code analyzer into your your pipeline and look how that helped us prevent having to break the build further down the cycle so your you know your deploys are happening faster um you know and that that ties into a whole metrics conversation too of where do those metrics what metrics are you actually looking at from a security perspective and are you driving with metrics that speak to the business goals not just well we reduce the number of vulnerabilities no, we made your deployments that much faster. You went from doing, you know, an average of, say, 10 deployments a month to an average of 15. That's meaningful. That gets the business to buy into what you want to do. And that is not some boring conversation about, oh, we're preventing risk. That's actually enabling the business to move more agilely. And yep. Agilely? Is that a word? Um, I'm making things up. Um you know, make but it, make, it allows them to innovate. It allows them to move quicker, to to be more responsive. Exactly what they want to do from a business perspective.
3: Yep, and that that pipeline that that Alyssa's talking about. I mean, that's that's a CISO's best friend in in my mind. You know, being in software startups, uh, you know, in in my past, you can you can control you know, privileges and access to different things through there. You can control all of these different stage gates for quality control and stakeholder approvals and your change control process and all these things that so many orgs struggle to get their people to do consistently for process for the sake of process. But if you can build that into the automation of this pipeline and the pipeline supports it and it makes their job easier and stops them from having to do meaningless tasks that are, you know, repetitive and they're not value-add... You know that's 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 it's a win for for everybody around, and you don't like I said you don't have to lead with hey I'm solving a security program problem here because, you know, uh, we we're not monitoring our our software digital supply chain well enough, and people aren't following the change control process. You know now now you know we've got a, a pipeline that that helps us do that and gives us the information we need to be able to articulate those things up to to leadership. At the end of the day, those. Those those security vulnerabilities—they're just they're just bugs, they're defects, they're they're just quality issues. And all these software companies—they already have a process to deal with quality issues anyway, from a, a functional standpoint. It just this is just one more data source to feed into that to improve the overall quality of the software, of the product.
1: Love it, two two great examples there. And i so where, where's the core of the problem, Sid? Is it in how it's created, how it's applied? Uh, how it's uh, audited and and used? Where where does where does it sit?
3: I, I think one of my my complaints has always been it comes back to to context and awareness on the parts of the folks that are are involved. So the the security team, if they don't have awareness and context of how the process that they're actually you know trying to put security controls into works and what the people that are going to be using that process do and what the business purpose of that process is, like all of that context is really, really important. And the technological uh, understanding they have to have of what's the infrastructure under this that maybe the IT infrastructure team needs. Like there's a very broad understanding of culture or not of of context across the entire organization that has to be understood. And actually culture comes into this as well as what's the organization's uh, culture you know that can play into how people are going to make decisions when there's uncertainty and what they should do and, and those types of things, or if they run into problems with the process day to day. So I think, I think that's where a lot of the difficulty comes in is to really get these things right. It is a multifunctional effort because having a single person is not, like that one person, except for maybe rare occasions, or instances, like, you're not going to have that one person have all of that context and understanding across the entire org. Like, they're going to have to pull together cross-functional people and work and collaborate. And I think I think too often, you know, folks look at a, a standard or a framework and say, well, nope, we have to do this. And they, you know, they put their foot down and they don't collaborate. They don't go to the folks that's gonna that it's going to affect, or they don't understand who it's even going to affect to go work with them and, and collaborate with them.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that's an important point cuz honestly there's this weird misconception that like engineering teams and the business in general dislike standards. They don't dislike standards in fact a lot of the engineers I work with would love to have standards if 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 they have context and if they apply to yes. the business and they're not onerous. Yes. They don't deplore standards. They can't stand having standards that are onerous and create additional friction. That's the key, right? And that's why that you know not releasing a standard unilaterally is such an important concept. And this, I mean, this was the whole premise of that tweet: was you can't just go out there and and make a decision unilaterally as security that this is our new standard. We're going forth with it because. You know, you've got the people on the other end who have to implement that. And you're not your goal in implementing a standard is that people adopt it, right? I mean, your goal is security is you want people to follow that standard. But if you set them up without a capability to do it, they're going to bypass it. They're going to risk accept it, get exceptions, whatever, you know, whatever your organization calls it, whatever that process is, or they're going to ignore it if you don't have anything like that. And the reality is they just want you to tell them. You know, what is the right way to go about these things? But then also they have to be given the tooling or the knowledge or the processes to be able to do so. And that's the thing. When we talk about culture, and you know, to me, culture and DevSecOps go together tightly. I mean, that's really what DevOps was all about, was building a culture. It wasn't about technologies necessarily. Now, we, we created a bunch of tech, technology to, to, to enable that. But the goal always was, how do we bring devs and operations people together to a common goal? And then security wants to get involved. Okay, so if I'm at DevSecOps, let's, let's get security in there too, where we all have a common goal. But that becomes our culture, and it's so much more than just automation, right? Automation is crucially important, as AC pointed out. I mean, we, we absolutely, that has to be part of it. But too often we become hyper-focused on that and it's the only thing we think about and we forget there are other processes we have to focus on. We have to focus on enabling the people with knowledge, right? So it's people, process, technology, and oh, yeah, by the way, everybody hates when I throw the fourth one in there. It's governance. How are you measuring this? How are you making sure? And if people aren't, aren't living up to your standard, you got to have the humility to go back and say, maybe we didn't write this standard properly maybe there's a better way to look at this and we should review that standard instead of saying nobody's living up to the standard go beat on the business divisions and yell at them because they're not doing enough maybe take it upon yourself in security look at those standards you, you wrote and maybe you wrote them in a way that's not achievable how can you make them achievable and then still get the result you want which is enhanced security posture right i mean that's that at the end of the day is what we all want but too often we do things that are actually counterproductive in that sense, especially when we take kind of that authoritarian attitude.
3: Yeah, that's an excellent point. The, the governance sort of like how you're going to decide what you will decide at, at that point, how the decision will be made. It's kind of another way to look at that. And a lot of the engineers that I've worked with, if they may not agree with the decision, but if they understand how the decision was made in that, that context they you know they'll they'll you'll you'll still be able to get that buy-in, even if they don't necessarily feel that it, it was the the absolute best or ideal situation but if they if they see how the the decision was made and what what compromises might have been made and had, had maybe even had a voice in that or at least somebody who represented them in their leadership their director their vp somebody had a voice in that you know that that goes a long way to getting that that buy-in from those groups culturally
1: well they have to believe in it and i think uh... Uh, Alyssa, you pointed to DevOps and DevSecOps, and some of the definitions for those actually call them a movement, right? Where it's it's people coming together to do something for the greater good of that that part of the business or that that part of the ops. And with that in mind, what I was thinking about earlier is signals, and I think the ultimate signal is to your point, Alyssa, they're not adopting the standard, right? That's a clear sign something you're doing is not working. I'm wondering from both of you as we as we begin to wrap here, are there signals that teams can find that point to underutilization of a standard, over-application of a standard, misuse of a standard, um, and maybe that signal combined with, well, what do they do if they see it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you touched on one already, right? And it's, it's that idea of, okay, where do we see lack of adoption or where are we seeing a, a, a huge acceleration in risk acceptance requests or exception requests or whatever you call them in your org? You know, I mean, that, that is a key one. Um, you know, another may be simply where are we, you know, where does this even fit in to our technology strategy? So, if I've got standards that are calling for certain security requirements, but there's there's nowhere, you know, they, they don't align to the technology strategy such that, you know, we don't even really implement them. I mean, that that's a good sign right there, right? I mean, you know, it makes no sense to have, uh, boy, I'm going to say something that people are going to scream about, but, um, you know, it makes no sense to have a password complexity standard if you're using, quote, unquote, passwordless authorization, right? Or authentication, right? I mean, it. Okay, so we're we're using you know other things. Well, why do we have password complexity then? Um, you know there are, and bel- and that's an oversimplistic example, but believe me, those examples exist where you have standards that just don't even apply. So your audit teams, your governance teams, can kind of help you with that because they'll be the ones looking at those standards and saying, "Hey, demonstrate to us." how you are achieving the standard. And they say, oh, well, that standard doesn't apply to us because we don't use that technology. Well, if you're seeing a bunch of that, then maybe that's a standard that you don't really need to have on the books. And to an early point you made, there are so many standards to choose from. Let's not have more than necessary. And again, back to understanding how do they you know, if I've got a list of 200 and I don't remember how many controls, 260 something is it? I forget. Um, in NIST, am I trying to apply every single one of those? Some of them may not apply at all. If I'm not a software dev organization, we're not creating our own software. There's a whole section of NIST that doesn't apply to us. So adopting those would be foolish. But again, if, I feel like we keep coming to the same answer, which is you gotta understand the business. Security people, you have got to understand the business that your company does. For me, it's credit ratings. I have to understand, and believe me, I'm still learning. I've been at the organization a little over a year now, but I'm still learning what what that whole ratings business looks like and realizing that it's way more than just credit ratings and it is figuring out where it all permeates into you know the market space. And if you don't have that awareness, you're setting yourself up to fail.
3: Yeah, AC. Yeah, and I think you know my my thought is is if you look at error rates, error rates in your processes and things within the organization. Um, I love tickets. Uh, a lot of people hate them because they feel like it's, it's, yeah, you know, unnecessary work. But again, that's one of those places where then you obviously haven't built your process and your your tooling and your automation and things well enough that the ticket just merely documenting that there was an issue and being able to have things, have that information pulled together for, for what was done to resolve it. And it's not easy enough to open the ticket, view the ticket, work the ticket, those types of things. Like you've got work to do operationally within your org, but you know, if you look at error rates during onboarding, for instance, how many help desks did you get because something in your onboarding process broke down at some point? Like there's where you can start zeroing in on, do we have bad controls in place? Do we have bad tooling, bad, bad integrations, bad automation, manual steps that are error prone, those types of things. Like you can look at a, a multi-step process like employee onboarding and look at the associated, you know, problem tickets that went along with that and look at the error rates to sort of Dial into what areas of that that process need to be addressed uh, on there. So I think that's one of the, the the huge things that that you can do to you know to look in and and figure out where where standards may not be necessarily dialed in and optimized. Yeah,
1: yeah and I keep thinking things like uh, account open failures or uh, card issuance failures. Those are direct impacts on business and maybe signals there could point to issues downstream in, in some of the apps and and controls and whatnot. Um, We're we're coming to the end, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask one more question because a lot of what we talked about is somewhat uh, AC, you touched on some, some things with uh, organizations that have uh, less maturity in in their security programs, but I really want to go there because a lot of things we're talking about is big picture companies with solid processes and, and big teams. My question to each of you is a final thought. Uh, and it's driven by one of the responses in the tweet. So you get the question too, why do we need a standard? So presumably this is for organizations that are small, don't have a big program in place, and they're trying to get their footing as a security leader and they're leveraging a standard. How do, how do they take that question and successfully navigate the uh, the waters ahead of them.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I think the way that that I explain it to to small orgs that are are just getting started is, you know, those those standards are, as I mentioned before, it's it's to keep every activity from having to become an exercise in judgment. Somebody doesn't have to stop and make a decision every time you you make a decision. This is how we're going to do it, and it gets documented. It gets communicated. You can now tell you know are people doing a good job your your people know am i doing a good job am i following the standards am i following the documented processes those types of things it it gives you something to look to to understand how your business operates and you now have something that you can look to to make improvements because if you it's really really hard to improve something if you don't really have a good baseline a consistent baseline like any process improvement that you make, if you don't have a baseline, you're just totally winging it. So having that standard established to give you some sort of a baseline to measure your improvement and to move forward, I mean, that's that's huge. And that the speed that it, it brings to these startups to be able to make decisions very quickly and have a new employee be able to look at a, an SOP manual, standard operating procedure manual, and, and have the information there instead of the, the, the graybeard sysadmin who just kind of wings it every time and the new guy comes in and, you know, the, the graybeard comes over and, and says, well, you know, here you do this and you do this and I'll, I'll show you how to do it. And then the next time the, the poor kid's sitting there going, man, I don't know what to do. And he's scratching his head and he's trying to remember. And it's going to take him four times longer to set up that laptop for that new hire or whatever it is. And then it may not be right. And that new hire is not going to have a good experience during their onboarding process. Like I, I love onboarding because it's a it's a non-technical uh, the process that every organization has to do. And it ties in so there's so many great tie-ins to, to security. But you know that that's usually how I tend to to like to portray this stuff to to small business of why these standards are are so important to their their organizations.
2: Yeah and, and both of those are so important. The the measurability, the enablement side and if you make it a little more tactical, it's even look at, you know, if we're talking specifically about security standards now for a moment, you know, just look at where the environment is going. You may be a small startup. I don't care how small you are. You got 50 people. People are buying a product or they're buying a service from you. They are going to be asking you about what you're doing in terms of cybersecurity. And when you have standards in place, when you have that library of your standards, your policies, your SOPs, that you can pull out and say, this is how we do it. We, we've we adopted NIST CSF and we've implemented it in our standards this way. It, it makes it so much easier to demonstrate for governance what it is that you're even doing. And so what that then leads into is standards give you that ability to react to adverse business conditions, right? Because now when something happens, you can turn back to your standard processes and either understand okay, how did we get here and was something off because this is the way we were doing things and it didn't work out or something bad happened, right? Now you have a, a knowledge base of how you operate as an organization or you can use it even to actually respond to that condition and say, boy, look, okay, we, we got away from our standards here. Let, let's return to this. Let's leverage this. Let's look at where we need to be and how we got away from that. When you don't have those standards, you don't have that context. If you don't have a standard way of looking at things, I mean, you know, if someone asked me that question, why do we need standards? It's like, okay, well, uh, if you're a CFO, let's well, maybe not CFO, but if you're in accounting, let's look at accounting for a minute. Why do we need gap? Because otherwise everybody would do it their own way and nobody, you know, none of our numbers would make any sense. We wouldn't be able to measure financial success. We wouldn't know what was going on with our business. It's the same thing with standards in any other part of the organization. Absolutely. You want everybody working on a common way of business so that then you can you as as you know AC said you you've got that measurability now you know whether or not you're doing well. You know whether or not you're getting better and you know the the challenge is yeah we we can't ignore cybersecurity. A lot of startups see it as that you know, kind of that inhibitor, as AC pointed out early on. But when you can leverage your standards to actually make it easier to adopt cybersecurity, now you can leverage your cybersecurity posture as an actual, uh, you know, market differentiator. You, you, You stand out from the crowd because you have those capabilities to point to, and you can confidently speak to what it is that you actually do from a security perspective to protect your customers.
1: I love it. So much good stuff in here and I'll, uh, I'll I'll do my best to kind of summarize I think what I'm gleaning from this conversation is that standards, if used appropriately can give us a common view in into what we're trying to accomplish as an organization so well beyond security right and if we don't just build build that standard and deploy it but we actually look at it and, and see what it's doing. We can we can also get a common view into how it's impacting business operations and potentially even uh, business objectives. And I think the other thing that really struck me, uh, Alyssa, is the, the, the humility note where taking that view and having a, a humble posture to say, this isn't really holding up to what we're trying to accomplish. It doesn't fit our culture. It doesn't fit our business objectives. It's not really enabling as AC was saying what we're trying to trying to do as a business so uh, take heed in that and make adjustments so hopefully it's a good summary um, I'll never do it as good justice as, as the two of you which is why you're on and I, I want to thank you both for having this conversation with me and bringing it to our redefining security audience and uh, for those listening they'll you'll see this infamous tweet in the show notes and Perhaps any other resources that uh, Alyssa and AC want to share with us and you. So
0: Alyssa, AC, thanks a million. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This has be great. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at ArcherIRM.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think,